Jesus died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good. That we might go at last to heaven, saved by his precious blood. And so we come as people of faith to remember but also to prepare ourselves because we know when he comes that Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, he's going to take those who believe in him to be with him forever. Let us worship in spirit and in truth, knowing that our Lord was crucified for us. And there, God, we thank you for this day many, many years ago. The mission was fulfilled. Christ gave his life for me, for us, and for countless people of the world. Help us to remember. And help us to give our hearts to the Lord himself and make him the king. Be with all Christians throughout the universe as we continue to remember his death so that when his resurrection is celebrated, it will be meaningful for all of us. Amen. As the sun gives way to darkness, the shadows of death are upon us. Our Savior has broken the bread of life and poured the cup of salvation. Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities.
be seated. Let us pray together as printed in our program, the unison prayer. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, by the suffering and death of Jesus, you save us from Adam's fall. Grant in your mercy that we may be drawn to Christ, lifted high on the cross, and by his redeeming love, be raised to everlasting life with him, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. We listen to the Hebrew scripture recorded in the prophecy of Isaiah, the 52nd chapter. He shall be exalted and lifted up and shall be very high. As many were astonished at him, his appearance was so marred and beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the sons of men. So shall he startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they shall see, and that which they have not heard, they shall understand. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or comeliness that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrow, sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that made us whole, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of Lord, the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief, and when he makes himself an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the fruit of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, 
make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I'm going to be reading Hebrews 10, 16 through 25. This is the covenant that I will make with them. After these days, says the Lord, I will place my laws in their hearts and write them in, on their minds. And I will, won't remember their sins and their lawless behavior anymore. 
When there is forgiveness for these things, there is no longer an offering for sin. Brothers and sisters, we have, we have confidence that we can enter the Holy of Holies by means of Jesus' Jesus blood through a new living, living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, which is his body. And we have a great high priest over God's house. Therefore, let's draw near the generous, the gen, with a genuine heart, with the certainty that our faith from an ev that our faith gives us, since our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies are washed with pure water. Let's hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering because the one who made the promise is reliable. Let's also think about how to motivate each other to show love and to do good works. Don't stop meeting together with other believers, which some people have gotten into the habit of doing. Instead, encourage each other, especially as you see the day drawing near.
Let us pray together. Let us pray for the peoples of the world. Let us pray for Christians, especially for those who are being persecuted for their faith. Let us pray for this nation, our leaders. Let us pray for those who are members of our armed forces, wherever they are stationed. Let us lift up their communities, their families, and their friends. Let us remember all those who are involved in protecting us as a nation. Let us pray for family and friends known to us dear to us. Our spouses, our children, our grandchildren, wherever they are. Let us pray for missionaries all over the world and all those who are proclaiming the good news. For those of us within the walls of this sanctuary at this time, we are here with either joys or with concerns, requests that are known to God. And so, Heavenly Father, we come to you. Lay them at the foot of the cross, knowing that with you nothing is impossible. Our brothers and sisters in hospitals, 
brothers and sisters in nursing homes, those who are fighting cancer and other ailments. We pray for the homeless, those in food, in, in shelters. We pray for those who are searching for food. We pray for your provision. And we thank you for who you are, for what you are to us. And so, Almighty God, on this Good Friday, graciously behold our guest, this, your family, members of our guests and our visitors, Church of the Cross United Methodist, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed into the hands of sinners and to suffer death upon the cross, who now lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. And the people of God say, Amen. Hear these words from the Gospel of John. Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because that Sabbath was a day of great solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and their bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once, blood and water came out. And these things, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission. So he came and removed the body. Nicodemus, who had first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with spices and linen cloths, according to the burial customs of the Jews. Now there was a garden in a place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb, which no one had ever been laid. And so, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, the tomb was nearby. They laid Jesus there. During the academic year on Monday evenings, I work with a group of students at United Seminary in a class that's called Formation, where we think theologically about many things we do in ministry. 
And about two weeks ago, one of the students said to me that he was having, um, during Holy Week with his church and a cluster of churches near him, he was going to be part of services that were held every night, Monday through Good Friday. And, of course, the church does offer scriptures for every day during this week. There's Jesus going to the temple and expelling the money changers. There's the visit with Mary at Bethany and anointing of Jesus' feet. And so each night that serv those services would center around one of the texts the church has given to us of Jesus' last week. Monday, Thursday, they would have communion, as we did last night here, the Last Supper of Jesus with his disciples, and of Good Friday, of course, focusing on the crucifixion. And it was interesting, he was thinking about this, and he said, well, one of the things I have noticed as my cluster of churches does this year after year is that as we go through the week, the closer and closer we come to Good Friday, the less and less people come. And he said, it's sort of like in Jesus' time. You know, there was the crowds that welcomed him on Palm Sunday, and they were overwhelmed, and they just were so many people there. And then you come to the cross, and there were simply a few women who knelt and wept at the base of that cross. And that's all who was left. Now, somebody wrote that, you know, everyone loves to come and to sing, Oh, come all ye faithful, we love the birth of Jesus and the Christmas celebration, but very few of us will come and want to sing, Oh, sacred head, now wounded. But maybe there are those, such as us tonight, where we come wondering and questioning and um, really seeking what does the cross mean to us? Because when we stand before the cross, it is mystery. It is elusive. It is indeed holy. And the cross is a really hard place. One of the iconic pictures from this past week in the horrid fire at the Cathedral of Notre Dame was the total destruction of the altar. And I don't know how many of you saw that picture, but it was absolutely fantastic. And I thought it was really the image of what Good Friday is about. Here you had the altar that was just totally devastated by the fire. The, the roof had crashed down. The charred beams were all over. The place was covered with ashes. But the cross was there. Anybody see that picture? It was fantastic. It stood. It is a hard place to be, and yet it is a place that gives us hope. Now, the cross is a symbol of many conflicted images and meanings in our culture. Um, we see, and we always have this image of Jesus on the cross, it was in very crude simplicity of wood that was an instrument of, of torture. And then we have these crosses that are of refined gold and silver. We see them imprinted in stained glass. There are crosses on headstones and cemeteries and 
planted by roadsides as memorial markers. There's jewelry of every kind that we can think of that has the cross. Crosses are tattooed on biceps, and unfortunately, they're burned as images of racism and hate. But it's like we do very little thinking about um, how we use and how we abuse the image of the cross in its deep meaning for us until we come to Good Friday. And at Good Friday, when a few people come together, we're forced to think about what the cross means for us. And so I'd like to offer to you some of my reflections, noting that I was sitting reviewing my sermon this afternoon, and I said to Don, this is completely inadequate. Any words of the cross, I mean, how do you begin to explain God's meaning and mystery of the cross? But it's important to, for us to struggle with that. It's important for us to think about it. What does it mean in our lives? We often, we often see it as a symbol of more than that, especially on Good Friday. But it really is so much more than that. Last year during Lent and Easter, I was serving as St. Andrew as their interim pastor, and I casually mentioned to one of the members of the church, oh, will I see you Good Friday for the service we're having? And she said, oh, no. She said, I, I, can't, I can't do that. It's too sad. It's much, much too depressing. I don't want to even think about that. She wanted to go from Palm Sunday to Easter and skip all that stuff in between, and she totally missed the point of faith. You see, the cross asks us to carefully look at its meaning because it tells us so much about God and faith and life. I always start when Jesus was born, because I think when Jesus was born, it assured us of his death. In his birth, we speak of God becoming human. And in that humanness, he experienced everything, hope and despair, joy, betrayal, pain, hunger, fear. And Jesus, we see God who has become vulnerable as we are, to all the frailties and every bit of the wonder of being human. And when that happened, it wasn't for God's own sake, but it was for our sake. God became human so that we could be assured and to see very clearly who God was, the nature, the character of love, the kind of God who created us and the type of God and the type of life that God wishes for us. If you want to know what God is like, you need to look at Jesus. If you want to know what God cares about, you need to look at Jesus. If you want to know how you should live your life, what? You need to look at Jesus. Because in Christ, the cross clearly shows us what God is like in what life is intended to be. And I think one of the things it shows us is that if we look at the way human life is, and we look at the life of Jesus himself, 
the cross represents this total reversal of what we have created as human life. It is a total reversal of what the world says is hope or purpose or love. You think about it. The world values strength, not weakness. The world values power over other people, not living together. The world values some perverted form of greatness, not humility. The world says, you deserve something, not give of yourself. The world says, that's not fair. Well, maybe it isn't. But Jesus said, this is how we live together. You see, the cross presents a total opposite way of life than what the world says to us. I have said for years that the very heart of the gospel is the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the merciful, the hungry, all those things that we don't value, we think are very impractical, we say is a fairy tale, we can't live that way. And yet that's how God comes to us in weakness, teaching us about true generosity, love without expecting something in return, vulnerability, dependence on others, suffering and death. There's meaning in that. Because God comes and offers grace upon grace upon grace. And the cross represents all of these ways of living that the world rejects. A number of years ago, I remember reading a devotion for Good Friday. And it was a person that was telling a story of a friend who had gone to um, attend a wedding in a church in California. And the church was one of the key churches of California, and it represented the prosperity gospel that you're, you're happy and God blesses you and you have all these things. And the woman was showing these photos of the wedding then and she said that she was extremely annoyed with the pastor of that church who did the wedding. And what she was annoyed about was that the church had a very large crucifix behind the altar. And she said, look at these pictures. They are simply ugly. I tried to get that pastor to cover it up with flowers, but he would not let me do it. Well, the story stuck with me because of her arrogance and her ignorance, because she had the gospel all backward. She really did. You know, the symbol of the crucifixion and the cross is a symbol of our life together. And in the wedding, the marriage vow is about relationship. It's not about the surface and covering it over with flowers and this happy kind of time. It is about commitment and steadfastness and the sacrificing and giving and sharing and the sad stuff and the hard stuff of life. And the cross represents all of that. Faith 
and how we live that out is really a reversal of what the world teaches us. What the world calls important and often values is not what God wants and desires in our lives. And I do believe that the cross becomes the best example and reminder of that in our living. Now, one other thing I think the cross reminds us of is that Jesus is right here in the middle of our lives. And as painful and horrific as the cross was, and as life can be, Jesus is alive and right here in the middle of the world with us every day. And the cross is the sign of God's deep abiding presence. But how, and how God understands everything that we experience. All of these things come and work together to give us life. He's no longer confined by time and space, but is able to be with us in the most difficult and the darkest of times in life. Sue Kidd, you might be familiar with her name. She's the author of The Secret Life of Bees. Um, great book. But that's not the only book she wrote. Um, she wrote several. Um, one particular one, When the Heart Waits. It's, it's a beautiful um, commentary of her two years of a faith journey where she felt incredible from God. And she called it her spiritual suffering. Um, she had deep questions of where God was in her life. She felt abandoned. She felt alone, empty, afraid. And she was searching for God in very deliberate ways. And one of the passages that she writes is about one of the events that helped her move to a deeper level of life and a deeper level of her faith. And I'd like to share that with a, a portion of that with you because it did help her move from darkness to hope. And she writes, When I was pregnant with my daughter, my son Bob was three years old and scared of the dark. We put a nightlight in his room, but sometimes he still cried out for me in the middle of the night. One night, as I held him against me to comfort him, he touched my rounded abdomen and he said, Mama, is it dark inside where my little brother is? He was convinced that his, brother would, that his sister would be a brother. Yes, I said, it's dark in there. He doesn't even have a nightlight on, does he? No, not even a nightlight in there, I said. So he patted my abdomen, and I patted him. And finally he asked, do you think my brother is scared all by himself in there? I don't think so, I said, because he's really not alone. He's inside of me. And suddenly I, I had an inspiration, and I said, and it's the same way with you. When it is dark and you think you're all by yourself, you really aren't. I carry you 
inside of me too, right here in my heart. I looked into his face, wondering if he understood what I meant. He didn't say anything. He simply laid back down and went to sleep. But that was the last time he called out in fear during the night. When we enter the spiritual night, we can feel alone, encompassed by a fearful darkness. What we need to remember is that we are carried in God's womb, in God's divine heart, even when we don't know it, even when God seems very far away. That's been the growing awareness within me. First, God was only up there. Then God was all around. Next, I began to see that God was also within me. And now, most shocking of all, I find that I am and always was within God. That's what the cross reminds me of. That God is very real here in our world. That God is with us and beside us. And in the most miraculous way, we are able to see that we live within God. That is the hope and the life of the cross.
Today, all stories are the same. It was Friday then. It is Friday now. We call them both by the same preposterous name, good. What once was now by the mystery of the holy story, faithfully and fearfully remembered, is. Jesus, jo I'm sorry, Joseph has unrolled a linen cloth and laid it on the ground. It is a close woven cloth with, in white. It is longer than the human frame and twice as wide. It is a shroud. He has leaned a ladder to the back side of the cross and he has climbed the ladder. Now he draws ropes around the chest, beneath the shoulders of our Lord, and over the beam of wood. He throws the loose ends down to the centurion facing him. With sudden force, and with anguish, that there must be force, he wrenches the spikes from the crossbar, the left one, the body of Jesus swings away from the cross and hangs on one arm, then the right, and the body slumps. The ropes go taunt. The centurion has one in each hand, and Joseph whispers, wait. He descends and then stands below the slouched corpse blow the rain of the dead man's hair. He applies himself to the spikes through the heels and the legs drop. Now, he whispers. With his left arm, he is hugging Jesus at the knees. Lower him. By sad degrees, as the Romans pay out the rope, the body sinks. Shoulders haunched to the ears. Jesus is listless. Joseph receives the torso on his right arm. The head falls back. The mouth opens. The eyes are lidded blind. The hair reigns at Joseph's elbow. Jesus is gone. As life as an empty script, the body without the sounding breath is light and so pitifully little. Joseph kneels and lays him on the shroud and begins to wind the linen around him for burial. Somewhere, a woman delivers a long, soft, terrible sigh to the world. The door to the tomb is a hole in stone, no higher than the human waist. Joseph enters backwards, bent down, bearing the shoulders of Jesus. The centurion on his knees keeps the legs from dragging in the dirt. Thank you, says Joseph. His voice echoes in the hollow rock. 
thank you. That is enough. He disposes the body alone and emerges into the darker part of the evening. The sun has set. The sky is empty. The air is absolutely still. There is a descending groove in the stone ledge beneath the sepulcher. Joseph rolls a, a flat stone down that groove, a single, slow revolution will bring it flush against the hole. No animal will desecrate this body. There are two sounds in the dusk, the grinding of stone upon stone, and once more the soft sigh, a low, compulsive, wordless sigh. Then the door is closed, the deed is done, it is finished.